Well, here we are. So glad we could uh, get together here this morning. And uh, for everybody online who's joining us, we're so glad you're taking time uh, to hear from the Word here today and join us in the preaching of the Word here at Hill City Church. My name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here. So glad you're here. I'm excited to preach the Word. And I need to give you just a little bit of a preemptive kind of heads up here. Vivek was sent was set to preach this Word. So if this goes really bad, you have him to blame. Okay. And he said that I could say that, but I was going to say that whether he liked it or not, okay? So it's just is what it is. But I have the relatively small task of unpacking how we as Jesus people, as the church, the body of Christ, interact with the world government. Just a small task, just a light, some light reading today, you know, just I get to unpack that. So, um, But before we get to that, if you did not catch Pastor Dave's message, Fit for the Kingdom, from last week, do yourself a favor and go back and listen to that word. That wasn't just good preaching for Dave. That was probably one of the best preaching I've heard him in in all, all the days I've known Dave. He's always been a great communicator. But that word was so solid, so good. And uh, it would be a huge benefit for yourself to even go back and listen to it again. Even if you did, you were here last week, you did catch it. Um, But I encourage you to go back. So, again, a preemptive confession of sorts. I am probably going to offend you. So, if you're new to Hill City Church, we do have a few kind of crazy people who are just like, yes, I love it when I leave church angry. He's going to offend me. I love these days. You know what I mean? But I want to offend you for the right way. Because in this conversation around politics and around government, we've been very much polarized, haven't we? All it takes is just a few minutes on Instagram, a few minutes on (laughs) nightly news, and we are divided. And I want to offend you in the sense that I bring it back to what the Scriptures say. Right? Because I'm I'm probably not going to be as far to this side as you would like, and I'm probably not going to be as far to this side as some of you other crazy people would like. I'm a crazy person too, okay? We're in this together, all right? Not throwing shade at you, but but I want to just be honest. We need to have a biblical perspective in this hour. In In an hour of Twitter comments and people trying to slam dunk each other, in the comments sections of Instagram and Facebook, we need to be looking into the Scriptures and allowing the Scriptures, God's design for these areas of authority and government to shape the way we see the world around us. It's like we talked about a couple weeks back. If you are not being transformed to the nature of Christ, you will be, because there's no neutral There's no just kind of gray area. If you're not being transformed by the renewing of your mind to the image of Christ, you will be conformed to the pattern of this world. So there's no off days in this work of a disciple, in this work of confirmation. So we need to allow the Word to shape us. The climate in which we are living in is supercharged with emotion and differing worldviews. So I think the best thing to do in a moment like this is to pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it is spirit-breathed. It is authoritative. It is complete. It is lacking nothing. And it is beneficial for us to hear your word today and to obey it. God, I pray for walls to be dropped, walls and defenses to be dropped, and for you to minister by your Spirit to our hearts today. Transform the way we think, that we would be in line with your kingdom, in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, Amen. We're going to start in 1 Peter chapter 2, and I'm going to read verses 11 to 17. We're going to cover a lot of Scripture today. So if you didn't do your daily bread, this morning, you're going to get probably a week's worth, all right? So you can check that box. All right, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 to 17. It says, Beloved, who's that? Who's the beloved? You can say, that's me. 
That's me, you the beloved, okay? You are the chosen, the beloved, the adored of the Lord. I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which waged war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. I want to just highlight a couple things here. Peter's saying, I want the way that you live among the Gentiles to be in a way that's honorable. Not dishonorable. So there is a difference in how we live among the, those who do not know Christ. There should be a difference in the way that those who profess an allegiance to Lord Jesus, there should be a difference in the way that those people live their lives compared to those who are far from God who do not know Him. So this is Peter writing to a Jewish audience saying the Gentiles, those who are not in covenant with God, you should keep your lifestyle as a way that is honorable to them so that when they speak against you as evildoers. There's a little bit of a tension here. Live in an honorable way as to not purposefully go out of your way to offend people, but when they are offended, <laughs> this is the tension, isn't it? But when they are offended, they would actually be like, oh, I actually, I don't, I don't have an argument against this guy because I've seen the pattern of his life. He walks the talk. He walk it like he talk it. Verse 13, be subject for the Lord's sake, interesting, to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free. Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. It's interesting. He, Peter says, hey, I want you to live as people who are free. You need to understand something. The audience in which he is speaking to, we're not free by our standards. And I think if today, because we can get our back up and as we see freedoms shifting, definitions shifting, government authorities shifting, we can be like, man, I'm just going to dig my heels in. They're attacking my freedoms. And you need to know that you're already free. Jesus said, nobody can take my life from me. I lay it down. Man, I've just been meditating on some stuff this last little bit. There's a guy named Justin Martyr, and he had this saying. He's like, they might kill us, but they can't harm us. Following Jesus might cost you your life, but you need to know if you are in Christ, it ain't no thing. You're already free. You can't kill a dead man. Because if you're dead in Christ, and you've identified yourself with His death and His resurrection, this world cannot touch you. It might touch this, but it cannot touch your position in Christ. You are free. That one was for free. Okay? Fear God. Honor the emperor. That's, that's awkward. That's a little difficult. Now we're going to just, I'm going to kind of teach you a couple things here real quick. If you are going to interpret the scriptures properly, the contextual reading of scripture is actually very important. And I want to speak to some people who I need to speak to right now. I understand that in your devotional time with the Lord, you might read something and be like, oh, this means this, means this to me. Have you ever been in a Bible study and somebody's like, I feel like this scripture means this. Have you ever, it's okay, you can just like slightly raise your hand. If that's maybe been you, I feel in my own feels that this scripture means this to me. And I understand. I, the Lord has spoken to me through things like that where it's like the Scripture was written for me but not to me and it kind of just speaks to the situation. And I go, wow, that's, that's a word of the Lord for me. 
But to understand what Scripture is saying and what it's speaking to, you have to read it contextually. You have to look not just at the surface level, black and white, ink on paper. You have to go back and observe a few different things. So this means that you are taking a verse and examining it within that passage. So what are the other verses and the other ideas and the other perspectives that have been laid out on either side of that verse? You take a verse out of its context, you have a pretext. Okay, so you need to take that verse, look on either side of it, and examine what's being said. And then taking that passage, you examine it, what it means within that chapter. And then that chapter within the book, or the letter. And then that book or letter within the entirety of the context of Scripture, and the manifold wisdom of God that's laid out from Genesis to Revelation. And you're just like, I just want to read my Bible, Brian. Why do you do this? But this is important. Because we can start to put our own Western perspective onto Scripture that's written to Middle Eastern people with different cultural practices, different ideas. We need to look in and allow the Scripture to speak to us line upon line, precept upon precept. So we look at, among some other attributes, we look at literary style. Because you're going be, to see in the Bible that there's discourse text where it's just like, it's just telling you how it is. It's just telling you what's up. It's telling you this is it. And this is what you need to do to walk in righteousness. Boom. And we have narrative text that kind of tells stories. We see, we, we see this all through the Old Testament. We see it in parts of the Gospels. And specifically in the book of Acts, it's like you're reading this narrative story that's going on that's showing you how God was working within the early church, how God was establishing his body. It's telling a story. And then we have poetic texts like, like Psalms and Proverbs and some of, those, some of those other books that you'll read kind of in the middle of your Bible. And this is important to understand because Scripture can't mean something different to those who it was originally written to. I'm going to say it again. Scripture can't mean something different to you and I than it did to those whom it was originally written to. I'm going to let that sink in. Some of you are just like, I, I wish I took in online today. <laughs> we have the cultural context. Who is the audience? What would the hearers understand from what is being said? And we have the, the historical context, the time frame in which the letter is being written, or the book is written, what would have been the atmosphere. And here's an interesting one. I wonder who would have been in power when this scripture was being written. So we see in 1 Peter chapter 2 and 17, it says, Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor. Well, I got, I got a question for you. Who's the emperor? A little guy called Nero. And for those of you who read history books, you're going to know that he had his stepbrother put to death out of fear that he would take the throne from him. He was a Roman empire, emperor. He had his mom put to death. He blamed Christians for starting the great fire of Rome that destroyed much of the city. And this led to a huge uptick in persecution and murder of Christians in the kind of mid to late 60s A.D. Also led to the death of two just kind of like ambiguous characters. Uh, I think his name was Paul. Oh, and the writer of First Peter. It was under Nero's rule that the Apostle Peter, who is writing this letter, it was under his rule that he was crucified upside down by his own decision as to not resemble the death of his Lord and Savior in any way, shape, or form. As to not, as to not be aligned or to not to steal the thunder of what his Lord and Savior went through. Are we starting to see this a little bit differently? Let 
There's four things in this verse that Peter, by the Holy Spirit, instructs us to do. He says, honor everyone. In the, and I looked in the Greek, everyone actually means everyone. The everyone there actually doesn't mean just the people that you like and the people that you enjoy, or he, even this, the people that you agree with. It says, honor everyone. We are called to honor everyone because Christ has honored us, not because we were worthy of it. Jesus didn't leave his throne in heaven to come and live the life of a human being because we were worthy of it. He chose to willingly come down and to lift us up to seat with him, not because we deserved it, not because we were honorable, but because he is honorable. We honor and respect all people who bear the image of God. The church, the orthodox, true, authentic church has always believed that humanity was created in the image of God. And so they have inherent value, inherent worth, and are worthy of respect and honor even if they disagree with you or even if you disagree with them. 2 we're called to love the brotherhood. This is a deep and genuine love for the family of God. But then there's these last two. These last two points. We're called to fear God and honor the emperor. The idea of fearing God has gotten twisted over the years. It is not being scared of God. It's actually being scared of being away from God. It would be trembling at the idea that you would allow something that he hates into your life. That is the fear of God. It's seeing him as he is, holding him in high reverence, knowing that he is a supreme authority of all authorities. And it says, honor the emperor. This is really hard to do, to honor those who are in governing authority specifically ones that you feel are targeting your values and your belief system and your worldview if you're not doing the third part. And I think this, this is what has happened in the day that we're living in. We have gotten our eyes off of the Lord and started looking at what's going on around us. And so we feel reactionary. We need to handle these problems politically. Jesus warned his disciples of two types of yeast. He warned, he warned the disciples not to participate in the yeast of the Pharisees. That was a means of using religion to manipulate and to control, to control people. And he also warned them of the yeast of Herod, which was a political realm to manipulate and to control others. He warned them of both. And I'm concerned as I have tried to take a step back and look at what's going on from an objective perspective within the larger body of Christ. We are clinging and grasping to political ideology and political strategy as if that can change the human heart. And I think there's many of us right now, if I can just speak real to Hill City Church, there's many of us right now who would go, you know what we need, Brian, to make Canada great again? Is if we had a Christian as a prime minister. That would solve all our problems. And I want you to know history disagrees with you. History would have a few things to say about that perspective. In the sense that it's wrong. Do I want a Christian as a prime minister? Absolutely. Would I want somebody who's godly and like clings to a biblical truth and biblical perspective in leadership? Of course I do. But I have to believe Proverbs, where it says this, Proverbs 21.1, it says, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. So can God work in Canada under horrible leadership as much as he can under great leadership?
That's got to settle in. Can God work through the hearts of leadership? Of course He can. But here's the catch. Here's the rub, if you will. He gives us a commandment through the Apostle Paul speaking to Timothy that there would be prayers and supplications made for all who are in governing authority. Because there's an avenue in the, in the relationship between God and His church that He has given delegated authority. We are His ambassadors within the world right now. So does God do things apart from His body? Sometimes, but mostly not. God will use His body as ambassadors to bring forth the kingdom of God through the preaching of the Word, through the Gospel going forth. If we are not praying for authority, chances are, God might not move through authority. A lot of us are hoping and praying things turn around in our nation. Not because of how it might affect future generations and how it might diminish the flourishing of humanity. We are hoping and praying it turns for our own comfort. And that is not a kingdom value, you guys. Why do you think, do you think God owes you something that He didn't give the early church? Is God indebted to you that He gives you comfort and a society that accepts you and just pats you on the back for all your convictions and beliefs? We live in a lineage of those who were fed to lions as a part of a state-run genocide in Rome. We talk about Hebrews 11 and it's like, oh, without faith, there's no, it's impossible to please God. Glory! You need to get to the end of Hebrews 11. It talks about those who, who did not receive the kingdom, who did not receive the promises, and who actually were sawn in two. Use very graphic language. This is the lineage of the church. That we were willing to obey the laws of the land in some realms, and we're going to try to unpack that here today. But we also lived by a higher law. You know, St. Augustine, he talked about this reality that yes, we were, him being an, like a, he was a North African kind of like intellectual who came to Christ and, and brilliant, brilliant man. I'm reading some of his books right now. But he talks about how that yes, we were called because he's trained within the Roman society. He's talking about yes, we are Romans and we're part of this society right now, but we're actually part of a different kingdom. We're part of another kingdom. We're part of another city. We're part of the city of God. And that yes, we have responsibility as good citizens for the flourishing of the society that we're in, but we have to live with this other kingdom in mind. I heard it said once that we actually get the leadership that we need. Because what I'm pushing on right now is a lot of the therapeutic deism that some of us have bought into. That come to, come to Jesus and all your problems will go away and everyone will love you and your bank account will only go up and up and up and you'll never experience trial or persecution for what you believe. Jesus will be the proverbial cherry on top of your humanistic Sunday. Trouble is, you will not find any evidence for that in Scripture. Jesus says, beware of those who speak well of you. Because they did so to all the false prophets. So if everybody likes you, you're probably a dead fish floating downstream. Just going along with the tide of the culture. Going along with the ideas of the day. Not wanting to ruffle the boat, not, or ruffle the boat, ruffle the feathers of people, rock the boat, not take a stand 
for truth, for love, for righteousness, for justice. Getting ahead of myself, you guys. <laughs> Romans chapter 13, verses 1 to 7, we see this again. Again, this is Paul, remember, contextually, writing to the Roman church, who is feeling the fire. of unrighteous leadership and persecution. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur, will incur judgment. For the rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority, then do good, or would, would, you have, would you want to have no fear of those who are in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is a servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Again, this is the church living under Roman rule. And he's saying this authority that's been established is authority by God. Jesus even spoke to it like, hey, if they ask you to walk one mile, walk two. Why? Because you're called to live as a free person. You can't take, you can't manipulate me into doing something. I do it of my own free will. I will not be shamed. I will not be coerced. There's an avenue of this within conscience. And again, I don't want to get ahead of myself. We're going to unpack where that line is. But I want you to see something. There's, there is a principle being here. We are called to be submitted. And that has to do with our heart, connect, our heart position. Because this word submission is actually the word hupatasso. Uh, means to be subordinate, reflectively to obey, be under obedience, put under, subdued under, make subject, be put in subjection, to submit self unto. But here's a natural reaction is I'll submit as long as I agree. Trouble is, submission doesn't start until there's disagreement. So we pay taxes, we obey speed limits, whether you like it or not. I've had a few speeding tickets this year. Not proud of it. Don't judge me. Judge yourself. I actually took one as a word from the Lord. I just needed to slow down. <laughs> In more ways than one. Booking myself a little too tight. And we will obey laws that lead to the flourishing of humanity. Not to its detriment. Submission is, to a, is a position of the heart honoring the office of a person's authority in the fear of the Lord. We honor the office that is established by God. Even if that person occupying that office is not honorable. In the fear of the Lord. Because we see that this delegated authority that has come from God is subject to God. And again, if we are not in prayer and not in crying out in intercession for those who are leading our nation, we will be drifting with the culture. This begs the question though, Brian, can a delegated authority step outside or above the authority to which they were given? In the last two years is a pretty good example of that, isn't it? 
The answer is yes. Yes, they can. Happens all the time. So what do we do then? It's a valid question. What do we do? The delegated authority cannot impose or condone something that is against the values of the supreme authority and God still, and God still require, to require His people to obey it. Here's what I mean. God's Word is given to us as a supreme authority for our life. It is our constitution. As a Christian, it is the constitution of the kingdom of God. And He delegates authority to other human beings to govern over these positions in our society. Now, if they step outside of that realm and ask you to do something that is contrary to the constitution of the kingdom of God, you are not obligated to obey it. Because you live according to the laws of this world, but you live by higher law. Just got to give me a minute here. I said it before a couple weeks back that we're called to be kingdom people first and Canadians second. And I understand it's kind of woven into some of our Canadian behavior and DNA to just always be nice. Right? It's just like I've, I've had the privilege of traveling to other places of the world and they're like, oh, you're Canadian. Oh, you guys, you're just always so nice. And it's like, I kind of have to break it to them. It's like, well, we're nice like to your face, you know? But like, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about you when you're not around. Like, yeah. And we'll write mean letters when you're not around. <laughs> you know, that's just such the Canadian way. But I think if we're going to be kingdom people, we have to be willing to shed off this idea that niceness is compromise of biblical conviction. Because the day that we are living in, it is called loving, it is, or it is loving to encourage things that God hates and actually leads to the detriment of humanity. And church, I'm going to be honest with you, don't think that you're not going to have to cross that bridge at some point. Because this system, this antichrist system that is working through society today, this world system will seek and destroy whatever it can. It is aggressive. It is oppressive. It lacks reasoning. It's submit. It's bow down or die. I'm getting really real really quick here. But do not think that you will not have to cross that bridge. The early church was not spared it. Christian history was not spared it. You will have to make a stand for truth. And you will have to decide whom you serve. So our love for God in our obedience to God's word and our genuine love for people must trump all other loves and devotions. If it's this need and this love to always be affirmed and always be liked and always be spoken well of, this need for the opinions of men that needs to be broken. If you're going to be a disciple of Jesus, you have to shed aside the fear of man. Because you will serve the one in whom you fear the most. And you will be, you will always live in alignment with which kingdom you are most aware of. So if you are looking for identity and value and belonging within the system of this world, you will go down the slowly, the slow moving creek of compromise and be caught up in the destruction that will come to that system. But if you are more aware of the kingdom of God 
and the king within the kingdom. His character can be shown through your life even in the midst of trial, even in the midst of taking a stand, even in the midst of doing what is right instead of what is easy. When it comes to morality and ethics, we live by a higher law. We as a church, church leadership, are going to be unpacking some of the things that have come forward in the legislature, so I'm not going to jump into it right now. But there was a bill that was passed called Bill C-4, and it's essentially criminalizing not just conversion therapy, which we can, under, we can understand that and we can talk about what some of what that actually means and the history behind that. But it's saying that it's actually a criminal act to suggest that anybody should restrain from any sort of sexual desire and sexual practice as if it was wrong. Like, you could go to jail for that. You could be fined for that. The bare minimum, you could be fined for that. So we have to decide... What do we really love? Because I really love God and I really love people. So come what it may, I'm going to preach the gospel. Because I'm going to be honest with you folks, the gospel and the Bible does not make room for my sexual preferences that are not in line with the king and with God's design. So it's not like the Bible's just picking on a certain group of people, a certain minority of people, to make them feel guilty and ashamed, as if they are the ones beyond the grace of God. The Bible calls me, as a heterosexual male, to repent of my sin, to flee sexual immorality, to have nothing to do with the unfruitful deeds of darkness. The Gospel calls all men, all women, to repent. We will not compromise on Romans chapter 1 and Romans chapter 2, but we will also not compromise on Romans 8.1 that says there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I want to be honest with you, I need to drop a warning to those who just seem to obey and just go with the flow without question today. Hebrews chapter 2 says that we need to give more earnest heed to the things we have heard lest we drift away. If you are not stopping and examining some of the ideas, the assumptions of reality that are being perpetrated within the day that we are living in, you will be drifting away. So here we are, it's story time. Okay, we ready for story time? I'm going to shift gears a little bit. We look in Daniel chapter 3. I'm going to read like 30 verses here, you guys. I wish we had snacks, you know what I mean? It would be a snack and a story. could even have a nap after. It would be great. Anyways, King Nebuchadnezzar, this is uh, Daniel chapter 3 and verse 1. It says, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth was 6 cubits. He set it up on the plains of Dura, and in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates. This is essentially his whole crew, his whole posse. Anybody in the kingdom, you're coming on out. Okay? And all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then everybody who invited, the satraps, prefects, governors, counselors, the treasurers, justices, magistrates, okay, you know what I'm saying. Everybody gathered for the dedication of the image of the King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before the image of Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be immediately cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, 
pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Verse 8, Therefore, at the time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree in that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, It is true, is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every good kind of music, or kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well, good, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast in the burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? See, the people of God has always faced a system or an opposition that would challenge the identity and the authority of God himself. When David is out with the children of Israel, it says that for 40 days, Goliath is taunting the children of Israel, mocking them, trying to intimidate them. The church has always, the people of God have always dealt with this type of opposition. And it's always this, who is this God? What authority does he have? Who does he think he is? In verse 16, it says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king, because I'm already free. But if not, even if he doesn't deliver us in this moment, let it be known, Nebuchadnezzar, O king, we have not served your gods or worshipped the golden image that you have set up. There is a lot in this story. There is a lot so far, and we're going to see the other side of it, and there's a lot we can take out of this, but it's important to see that there is, there is the earthly, and then there is the heavenly. There is the law of the land, and then there is the word of God. There is God's law. There is obedience to man, and then there is obedience to God. There is a fear of man, and then there is a fear of God. We are supposed to obey authorities which God has placed as long as it does not violate God's instructions, commands, and the design of God. To do this, to bow down and to worship this image was a direct disobedience to the instructions of God's commands. You shall not set up or make for yourself or worship any other image. He said, I alone am the one that you should worship. So let me ask you this question. Was Nebuchadnezzar an authority placed by God? Or was God asleep at the wheel when he got into office? Yes, he was a king compelling them to disobey God's word. Yes. Was idol worship a sin? Yes. Was it God's will for Daniel's friends to obey the king at the cost of obedience to God's word? The answer is no. Were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego insolent, rude, or brash? No. O king, O king, live forever. We're going to see how they respond to this crazy situation that they're in. 
we live with the blessing of the other side of this story. But you can imagine what is in there right now. What's really in them is coming out. Because these were honorable people. They had served a system that was contrary to them for years. They were serving in the provinces of Babylon. And they had cultivated honor in their heart. So when the pressure came, what came out? Honor. Was Because Nebuchadnezzar was honorable, right? No. Because they were honorable. They were part of a different kingdom. A different system. So were they rude? No. They honored the king. They addressed him with the respect that he, that the office that he had deserved. He did not swear at him, yell at him, disrespect him, jump over onto Twitter, jump over onto Facebook, create some hashtag. Guys, if I can be real, I am frustrated as much as you are by a lot of the things that are going on right now. But I have to decide... Am I going to reflect the character and nature of Christ? It doesn't mean that I just put sugar on everything I say. But I have to walk in the Spirit as much as it does, as much as love does not rejoice in the truth, or does not rejoice in evil, but rejoices in the truth. Love is also kind, is patient, is gentle, is not self-seeking. If we believe that the Word of God is beneficial for all and not just for ourselves, we will be a lot more patient with those who are not in line with it so that they could experience the flourishing that God has for us. So were they willing to face the consequences to the law of the land for their disobedience? Yes. Did they resist being thrown into the furnace? No. That submitted that. That's submitting to authority without obeying the evil law. You actually have the freedom as a free person to decide what hill you're going to die on. There is a lot of different convictions even within Scripture itself, even within this room. You need the wisdom of God to know which, which hill to die on. And I'm concerned that a lot of us are dying too early over things that don't quite matter. This is what you do when you disobey the unjust law with honor, courage, willing to pay to the price. And some of you have done that. There's stories in this room about losing your job or the threat of losing your job. And I commend you for that. And the Lord sees your willingness to stand under the conviction of the Holy Spirit and to not compromise. And God will give you grace to stand strong within it. But we do it with honor, courage, willing to pay the price, willing to lose a job, willing to go to prison, willing to pay a fine. Obedience is and will always cost us. Conforming to evil is easy as it has perks. You get privileges. Buys you peace from people who are bent to do evil. But I want to say this, the world should not like us for the right reasons. Not because we're rude, because we're arrogant, because we're proud, but because we are so in love with God, it shows up in our way, the way that we love people around us. And the things that we say, the things that we do, so that the pattern of our life, even when these accusations are made against us, people go, there's no, there's no weight to that. That's so not in line with their character. I've got to wrap this up, so we've got to keep reading here. So then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury. This is verse 19. It says, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He mad now. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments and were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. 
Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace was overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste and declared to his counselors, Ah, did we not cast just three men into that furnace? Because, um... There's, a, there's somebody else in there. I don't know if I'm seeing stuff in my fit of rage, but there's somebody else who's standing in the fire. There's somebody else who's present in your suffering. There's somebody else who's in the presence of your willingness to do what is right instead of what is easy. There's somebody else who's present in the middle of a church who is willing to not compromise on love, to not compromise on kindness, but also not compromise on truth. And they say, oh yeah, you know, dude, yeah, there's, we, we, we put three in there, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth is like the Son of God. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps and the prefects, I sometimes get so frustrated with some of the Old Testament. It's just so repetitive. You know what I mean? It's like, guys, we get it, okay? They were all there, okay? But anyways, they all came out, and they saw that the fire had not, had did not have any power over the bodies of those men, and the hairs of their heads were not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who has trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve the worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make another decree... Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, from limb and their houses laid in ruins, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Think about what happens in cultural transformation when we are willing to cling to truth and cling to the gospel no matter what happens around us. It's called revival, you guys. It's called cultural shift. It's called the fire of God falling upon a nation, falling upon a region. Not from the top down in authoritative theocracy, but an indwelling of the Holy Spirit that changes somebody's desires. This is what we are called to. To make a big deal of the Gospel. To make a big deal of who God is. And His graciousness, His kindness in giving His Son for sinful humanity. That's what shifts a nation. That's what shifts a region. No matter who is in power that day. Nebuchadnezzar saw that no matter what decree he made, he could not curse what God was blessing. There's so many other examples all throughout the Bible of when people took a stand for biblical truth and God showed up in miraculous ways. I can't promise you that. I can't promise you that it won't cost you your life for standing for truth, for standing to allegiance to Jesus. I can't promise you that because the Bible doesn't promise you that. But I'm telling you what it does promise you is that living that way for Christ is worth dying for. Bonnie, do you want to come? I'm just, we're going to wrap things up here. Sorry I've gone a little bit over time. Revelation chapter 13 
verse 7 to 9, also it was allowed to make war on the saints and conquer them. So this, sorry, let me give you a little bit of context here. In Revelations 13 and 15, there was an ant- where the Antichrist commands all those God bless technology. Revelation 13 and 15, the Antichrist commands all those who are alive during the end times to worship an image of himself. But the Apostle John, who wrote the book of Revelation, states that those who were alive at the time will have to disobey the Antichrist and the government at the time and refuse to worship this image, just as Daniel's companions violated Nebuchadnezzar's decree to worship the idol. In verse 7, it also says that, it was al- that this Antichrist was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them, and the authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all who dwell on the earth will worship it, everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of the life of the Lamb who was slain. And if anyone has an ear, let him hear. Verse 10, if anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword must be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. We've gotten really real in this last 45 minutes about some real things that we're facing. And I I sense in my spirit today that there was actually a requirement that God was putting on Hill City Church to repent. Because in this polarized perspective, we as the the body of Christ have to be the third option. We're not going to get in the ditch over here. We're not going to get in the ditch over here. We're going to live aware of a greater kingdom and make priority of a greater message of a king who is greater than all kings, an authority who is greater than all authorities. I felt like there was a call that God was putting on our church to intercede for our nation to be part of the answer instead of part of the problem. It is very easy to see dirt in a field, folks. It doesn't take somebody of spiritual fortitude or prophetic unction to see dirt in a field. What it does take is some broken people with the heart of God who are willing to stand in the gap for a nation and who are willing to see the jewel and the treasure that God is wanting to unearth in a nation. I want you to stand with your, to your feet with me here this morning. This is, this is for you. This is for me. We will honor the authority that God has placed over the nation of Canada, but we will live by a greater authority. We will live by a greater kingdom. We will live for a greater king. We will not live for our own comfort. We will live so that the name of Jesus will be glorified among the nations. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for what you've said in your word here today. God, I pray that we would have your heart in this hour, that we would have perseverance in this hour, we would have endurance in this hour to do what is right instead of what is easy, to stand for truth, to stand for what is right, to stand for the flourishing of humanity and the glory of God being seen in your design. But God, I pray that we also are people with a broken heart who are patient, who are kind, who are loving and compassionate like you've been loving and compassionate to us. The Word of God says that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. We serve a sovereign God. We serve a God who can cause the heart of a king to move this way and that way through a praying church, through a church that's willing to get on its knees. And if I'm talking to you today, we're going to sing this song, but I want you to come forward. If you're wanting to be part of the answer, Instead of part of the problem, I want you to get out of your seat 
and come and respond and get on your knees before God. And we're going to begin to cry out for our nation. We're going to begin to cry out for the Spirit of God to flow through the halls of Parliament. To wash over our Prime Minister. To bless him and give him wisdom and insight and how to lead this nation in a way that glorifies God. Going to pray for our province. Going to pray for our leaders. Going to pray for those who are having to make hard decisions right now. Because we want to be a part of the answer instead of part of the problem.